Caught Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes, Caught Offside. In the suburbs of New York City in an apartment in Brooklyn, New York. Andrew Gunling, J.J. Devaney, and breathe. Oof. Wow. What's up, brother? Ah, uh, yeah. Disappointed. Um, what an end to the season, though. I think, uh, yeah, it was, I think, I don't know how to feel right now. <laughs> I was staring down the barrel. All illusions of objectivity have flown out the window. No, I, I, I well, do you want me to do the classic? What would be if we were on BBC mm-hmm. or Sky, the first thing you would do would be congratulations to Manchester City. There we go. Obviously worthy champions, you know. So I've done that bit now. <laughs> um, I was staring down the barrel of the wor- a way worse vista than losing the league, in my opinion. What I was staring at was, and what everybody, everybody associated with Liverpool were, were staring at was losing the league by bottling your job. Mm-hmm. Not being able to win at home versus Wolves while Aston Villa led Manchester City 2-0. That was... That was a horrifying um, vista, something terrible. If it had gone that way, it is much, much worse than what actually happened, which is City um, pouncing on, on some, some weakness or tiredness in the Villa defense and, and scoring three goals in five minutes. Three very good goals, by the way, is what it, it should be noted. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's strange. I don't know how to feel. Um, it's heroic failure was a term that was used by the commentator at the Liverpool game at the end. I mean, her, heroic failure. I'm trying to parse through that one. Like it I thought Liverpool, to me. I understand what he's saying. Yeah. 92 points is going to win you. I mean, would have won you the majority of premier leagues over the past 25 years. I don't have an exact number, but I would say most of them. I'll break that lot. down for you in a, in a minute. Yeah, I got it. Okay. But, uh, this is not that era now, so it's um, it's a much tougher era. And yeah, I think I think it's been a great season in the league for Liverpool. And I think um, I think City are worthy winners, though. I really do. I think um, to come back two 0 down, albeit at home, all those factors, but they still did it. Scored three goals, won their game, and. Um, I think over the course of the season, they've been the um, they've been the best side of the two sides who are just in a league of their own, really. To look at this season as a whole, we'll go through the specifics, the title race, the top four race, relegation, and then some of the other major bullet points from the final day. But, you know, we're sitting here. It all just ended about 45 minutes ago. Yeah. And, you know, we always intended you know, there, there was just so much at stake today. It felt today felt so big. We always knew we were going to do a pod right afterwards. And, you know, I, I think the way that a lot of this ended, the relegation race was a thrilling conclusion. The, the title race was a thrilling conclusion. I was just saying to you before JJ, that this, you know, we go back through these seasons and they're all great in their own way. They all tell their own stories in their own way. They're all memorable in their own way, but some definitively stand out above others. This was a standout season for me. This is not one that will kind of blend in with other years. This year was different. Uh, the compelling nature of races on so many different fronts. Um, I just think that, you know, also too remember this is the first year with fans back in grounds after 
COVID and the pandemic. Uh, and even though COVID did leave an imprint on a big chunk of the season from like November to January, that kind of two month window, I don't really think that that is going to be something that's remembered throughout the course of this year. Individual teams and fan bases will, might remember it from certain games with weird lineups that they had to put out. And it's part of the story. But overall, I think this, this was such a positive season uh, for the Premier League. Even if your team specifically, that's not you, JJ, that's just a general you. you know, if your team went down or your team didn't win the title or didn't finish top four, I think if everybody takes a step back, you can see that this was, this was really, really memorable stuff. It was, it was fun all the way through. And let's go through it now. And we'll start at the top. Uh, like you were just referencing, of course, Manchester City, they do get it done. They get it done in dramatic fashion. All three of City's goals come in a span of five minutes and 36 seconds. And I think that Ugh. that will be the number that defines the season. You know, in different sports and different titles you have, you know, with like Patriots and Falcons, 28-3. Like that's the number you see on billboards and posters. And yeah, you know, I, I think 536, I think five minutes and 36 seconds are going to be. That, that That'll be the on the DVD cover. That'll the, be yeah, 93, 20 and 536. That's the span of time that defined this season. And it was, yeah, as you're watching it play out, I was kind of at that point, Tottenham had gone up four nil and I, I was comfortable. So I was like, all right, let me switch over to city. Now I'm fine. I fi they had to get past that three nil barrier because after what West Ham did to them uh, coming back from three nil, I, I can never be safe until we're past that. I got past that. I said, let me go to city and let's see, let's see what happens here. And JJ, this is nothing new, but like watching Manchester City when they go on one of their roles like that, the only thing I can compare it to, like when I watch the NBA and I watch the Golden State Warriors play, like you'll have these stretches where the Warriors will be down two and like you'll get up, you'll go to the bathroom, you come back and they'll be up 17. Mm. Like they do it in a way that I don't see other NBA teams do it. They'll hit six threes and it's just like, wait, what? What just happened? City are like that. They are like that, where they go on these rolls and they terrify teams. It's just constant relentlessness bombing forward. And, and what mm. they did in under six minutes, I mean, I'm surprised. It felt like they could have gotten more. It was really, I mean, I, I know you obviously, I wouldn't expect you to take any appreciation of it, well, uh, but it no. was a sight to behold. Well, of course I would. All right, like well, Not today. No, it's appreciate. I mean, define appreciation. I, I can understand how they played. You were horrified by it. Oh, I... <laughs> I'm, I, I watched, look, Villa definitely, when, when you see, I think it was just where they kind of were finding themselves. The, so we were at a disadvantage, guys. So I, I double screened, which means you either watch, you still only watch one match or you get glimpses of the other. So I, I don't have a full, I don't have a full picture of the, of the, of the Manchester City Aston Villa game. But I should say, before we get to that, uh, three minutes 56 seconds or 536 yeah whatever <laughs> um villa had done excellently in the game and and it's particularly in the first half matty cash's goal was a brilliant goal a lot of bravery to get on the end of that cross it was a good breakaway uh felipe coutinho's goal <laughs> was so good i mean i'm not saying it was the best move of the season because it wasn't in that sense it's a kick out from um, robin olsen and Watkins wins the, the flick on. And there's really, there's not a lot on. I mean, Coutinho's first touch with the outside of his right foot to take the city defender out and open up the shot and then to just do Ederson with the eyes. Ederson is rooted because he thinks that he's going to curl it to his left, but he goes near post and rolls it in. It's 
it's going to get lost in everything, but that is such a good goal. It was a brilliant goal. And it's 2-0, and obviously I'm screaming, screaming, because there's a delay. Um, so I'm watching Liverpool on TV, so the people in Anfield know that a goal has gone in before me or Andrew, who are streaming it because of the 30 seconds to 45 seconds, sometimes even a minute delay when you're streaming. So I'm going absolutely crazy. You don't know what's wrong with me. Um, but, but, I, but I was going crazy, but I was also horrified because at that point, Liverpool were still tying 1-1. So, so it's like everything is falling our way and yet we're still blowing it. Um, but to go to the city uh, goals, um, first of all, bringing on Gundogan was a, a masterstroke. Um, uh, the cross from Sterling as well. Sterling, who came into the game, who stood one up to the back post for Gundogan's goal was brilliant. The side foot from Rodri. It was a side foot from maybe 24 yards, 23 yards. I don't know. Brilliant. Mm-hmm. Because, all right, you might look at it and say Robin Olsen is beaten at that post, the post he's closest to. But if you watch the replay, it's driven with such precision and pace. It flies in right by the post. There was no margin for error there. And, you know, if that hits the post and comes out, that game finishes 2-2 and Liverpool are champions. That's the other side to it. But rolls it into the back of the net, a really, really great goal. And then De Bruyne driving into the box, centres for Gundogan second. So it all happened in a flash. Villa were shell-shocked. Again, guys, if you're listening to this, I'm at the disadvantage of not having fully paid attention to, to City and Villa. So I don't know, but what I'm hearing is Coutinho gets hooked for Nar- uh, Marvellous Nakamba um, almost immediately after he scores the second goal. Now, I thought I saw Coutinho on the floor prior to the second goal. So maybe he had a knock. Maybe the goal was all he could do. He couldn't continue and that Gerrard had to make a substitution. But there seems to be a suggestion out there that Coutinho coming off handed momentum or handed more momentum to City. I don't know if that's the case or not. I mean, look, you couldn't fault Gerard and Villa for thinking when they're up 2-0, not a ton of time left, okay, the mentality now has to switch to something more defensive. Um, so, well, yeah, but and, I mean, and if he Coutinho only got make, was... He only got to make one substitution... And they're 3-2 down. All the other substitutions came after the third goal from what I see on the, uh, on the timeline. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, just in a flash, that was it, Andrew. But again, like I said, <laughs> uh, Liverpool did their job. They won the game. One of their, probably one of their worst performances of the season. Um, just looked so flat, heavy-legged. And for a long time, it didn't feel like it was going to happen. Um, but it did, and Liverpool did their job, unfortunately. Um, Villa, who you can't really fault them. They went 2-0 up, and it just... No. It went... Well, you can't fault them. I can fault their defending for the second and third... Well, the second goal in particular, but... I mean, were they really, were they really going to hold on? You hope they would, but like you said, the relentlessness of City, the, their ability to get forward in numbers, and, um, and also to keep the ball. That's the worst thing. Well, that was what happened after the third goal. And so there's still roughly 10 minutes or so with stoppage time, 12 minutes or so to go in that game. JJ, I don't know. I can't think of any passage of play that Villa had at the city end the rest of the game. 
I mean, no. City just controlled the ball. It looked like Villa were just once that third goal went in, they were so shell shocked and they were so just like, okay, let's just let's just end this. Like we gave it our best. We don't have it. Like they couldn't, it just, yeah, they couldn't just get out of their own half. Um, no. They couldn't get on the ball to do it, and that's you know, you add that into the City Armory, the fact that you're chasing the ball that is exhausting. It's so exhausting having the ball, keeping it, and moving it. With those small, short passes, that is like the hallmark of the Guardiola teams, that their ability to keep the ball, that has such an effect on the opposition. Mentally, physically tiring. And I, I suppose that, that, that Villa collapse, which it was. It's, if you're mm-hmm. tuning up in any game that late, it's a collapse. And to score so many goals in a tight window just shows you how, how City just rinsed them and, and sucked the life out of them. We should tell people that, so you and I, even though we're not in the same location, we decided to do a, a Zoom session so we could watch together. It was cool. Essentially. I actually enjoyed it. And it was. But one of the funny things that came from it was like this, you know, this was this was a relatively sports speaking. This was a painful experience for you watching yeah. how that all played out. And you, in a way, almost willing things to go differently. So I I'm watching City. It's literally on in front of me. And you've got Liverpool on. And at one point you start, you know. Much of much of the afternoon for me was hearing oh 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 that's that was JJ for about ninety minutes today oh Jesus. oh 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 and so you start doing that and I say what did something happen there they say well and you tell me the crowds the crowd is a flurry something must have happened in the city match and I'm saying to you I'm watching the city match no but twice you're taking a corner nothing's happened you say no but the crowd they must be doing but, it for what are you doing JJ, I'm watching it hey it was just funny to me. Right, but that happened once. Twice the crowd had got it right, and then some some mischief maker, <laughs> probably in the Wolves' end, decided to spread some disinformation around Anfield, which got old JJ here all hot and bothered. And I get it. I understand why you so you needed it to be true, but I I had it in front of me. I I no, could see it. But I kept, and I also, to be fair to me, I kept asking you. I was like, Andrew, have Villa got down the field at all since they conceded? The yeah. third goal in your I life. didn't have much good news to report. No, they um, for you, for you at least. You you were like you reminded me today in the in the latter half, say the last 15, 12, 12, 10 minutes of the game, where you know I'm holding on. You reminded me of a a, a messenger in, in a war, oh, and I'm the general and I'm pacing in my in my wonderfully adorned uh you know living room with a with a big open fire and uh knock knock. And you come in. What news, Private Gundling? I'm sorry, sir. There's, there's no news. Give it to me straight, Mr. Gundling. We're, we're trapped in the... We're trapped in Manchester and we can't get out. And then I look out the window and I turn to you. And I put my hand on your shoulder. You've done well for me, Private Gundling. Yeah, now I go. wish that was the way it had gone. Now go to I- your family. <laughs> I wish that was the proper analogy. At one point, you shouted at me. You oh, said, yeah. Oh, you're supporting them. It'd be like if the general, if that same scene happened, knock, knock, come in, private. Uh, general, they've, uh, they've breached the lines. I'm, I'm sorry, sir. What? You're one of them, aren't you? Arrest him. <laughs> there was, uh, I, I was so tense and nervous that I felt there was an inflection of joy. I mean, look, as a neutral to this race, it was thrilling television. (laughs) Like They scored three goals in under six minutes to win a title. It was incredible stuff to have seen. 
I mean, in terms of final day stuff, it's the most incredible thing I've seen since Aguero. I think I don't even know what else would be a close second. So, yeah, like if my inflection at certain points bothered you, I get it. I certainly get it, but wasn't supporting I, anyone. Yeah, I was just on edge. Fan of the sport. Just on edge. I fully it was understand. an edgy time for me. Um, for Manchester City, I mean, it. not that by any means this marks the end of an era, but it's another exclamation point on what is one of the most dominant eras that this league has seen. It's their ninth top flight title. Uh, only Manchester United have won the league more often since whoa, the creation whoa, whoa, of the Premier whoa. League. Whoa, back up there. Yeah. Ninth top flight title. That's what I'm reading. Have they just equaled Everton's? Let me check. Keep talking. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in terms of the Premier League, it's now United and City, one and two. And a, a fair gap between them. But the fact that Six City championships. Have, the fact that City have already <laughs> made up that kind of ground to get into the second spot is it's just incredible what they've what they've done. And you know, it's interesting too, because and we'll during the week, this is this is all reaction stuff. During the week, we'll have a Devon Lings, and that'll give us a chance to really dive in deeper on some of this and, and give even more perspective. But just like in the here and now, I'm just thinking about Man City and you know, like so the summer transfer window for them, where their targets were Kane and Grealish, they would come out of it without Kane. So they entered the season again with no striker. Um, and Grealish. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how you judge the season he had. It wasn't, you know, whatever myself, a lot of people thought whatever the impact would be that he made, he made it at times, but not consistently. Um, and yet here they are 93 points at the end of the season. Um, you know, they, they didn't have Foden at the start. He rallies, goes on and, and is named young player of the season. De Bruyne, we talked throughout the course of the season that there were large stretches over the first few months of the season where we just think it's not it doesn't look like him that's just not the and here we are at the end of the season he's just named player of the year and so like they got these performances from those two when it was all said and done and and in the meantime until those two could get could really get going other guys pitched in defensively they were they were fantastic once again it's just it's just a machine we just keep referring to it as that that's that's how it feels with them almost regardless of personnel yeah, they have a real ability to grind through the league, just to shred the league, and and um, and and the league is, I mean, four championships in the last five years. Only Liverpool interrupting that in uh, 1920. It says a lot. Yeah, nine championships, nine top-flight championships. They've they've leveled up with Everton. Astounding. Wow. Um. So I, I wanted to mention something. Also, I'm sorry to do this, but. So on our last podcast, JJ, you made, I don't even remember the exact comment, mm. but you said something to the effect of how difficult it is right now in this yeah. current era to win a title sure. with, with what Manchester City are doing year in, year out. Yeah. I didn't think much of it when you said no. that. It seemed like a fairly benign comment. Yeah. But so I, I every once in a while, I get, I go into the zoo and I, I check on the animals and see how <laughs> they're doing. And one of them appeared rabid. And yeah, so I, I, I observed him from the cage and this animal, I don't have the exact reddit post in front of me but it was essentially off of the comment that you made i'm done with this podcast i'll never listen to them again i hate them oh really yes um i sadly i was collateral damage of your comment it's okay. i had nothing yeah, to my, do my hugely it. offensive comment but the, the shrapnel of your comment uh, apparently hit me as well lodged in your face <laughs> And and it was based on that comment. It was a Manchester United fan who felt like you were in some way, I think, almost devaluing titles that were won by what? teams before. That, that was what I gathered from 
what this person said. Oh, this was deranged. That you were written in pencil. That you were almost devaluing titles that were won previously um, because they weren't won against a team like City. And look, if he's gone and doesn't want to listen anymore, look, okay, fine. Like, I get it. Actually, I know. I don't get it. I don't I don't understand that. But like this is a, a hugely frustrating season for United. And I think their their fans in some ways are lashing out now. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, but I don't think that's what you meant. I think it no. was more as like a, a compliment to Manchester City and just the yeah. reign of dominance that we're seeing right now. So since this. But it's also Cap- he probably took it as a compliment. What's really annoying him is that it's a compliment to City and probably a compliment to Liverpool that they can even keep in touch. Correct. So that's enough. That is going to boil his piss to use modern parlance in a way that you can't even imagine. But God I think, love him. But I think the point is that that I just want to restate in in just kind of like hammering home to people, like this is not devaluing mm-hmm. titles won by United or Chelsea or no. Arsenal in, in in years gone by or Leicester City or whoever. Like that is not what this is about. Those no, those titles not. are historic. Many of them in their own right, un, unquestionably. Ninety nine stands alone. Yeah, stands it's, alone. It's, it's just to tell people that like kind of like if you're a neutral you can hate city i know a lot of people hate manchester city that's fine but it's i'm trying to hammer home that like what you're watching during this pep era for city this is special this is not just another era like this is this is different so since this run for pep began with city winning titles um he won no trophies there in 1617 then 1718 starting with that year here's what you would have needed to beat them to the title 101 points 99 points then 87 points and then this year 94 points nice. and then the year liverpool won it it was a runaway 99 for liverpool only 81 for city city mm. needed a year of refreshing and then they did they bounced right back but like 101 99 87 and 94 that's yeah. what you would have needed now to put that in perspective prior to that title from city here are the title teams that finished with more than 90 points chelsea in 17 united in 09 Chelsea did it back to back 0506. Arsenal did it in 04. That was the Invincibles. And by the way, that only got them 90 exactly. Right. And then United in two in um United in 2000 and United in 94. That's not that many. And all of those teams that I just mentioned are considered some of the greatest teams in the history of the league. These are right. memorable teams that have like nicknames attached to them. Like right. And by the way, what, there was that's what we're talking about. And City are doing it pretty much every year now so it's I, not I, a stain on on the past time we're just telling you that this is this is special stuff from sure. city it's hard to keep pace with them it just these are facts it's not meant to insult united fans no 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 not at all not at all and, and in a lot of the cases that you mentioned there where where united had those huge points tallies there was no one close to them and right. i think that's the point though that's what's annoyed him. it's like two of of the teams you hate the most like duking it out on these on, with these record point scores. That's I think that's probably where it comes from a little bit as well. I also just, I mean, you, I don't understand, and I, I guess the it's a modern thing where you just say I'm not listening to this anymore. You know, I'm sorry, I can't do it anymore, and you make this big stage production mm-hmm. of 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 not listening to like I, nothing I said was meant to disparage Manchester United. Nothing, not one single thing. It wasn't about that. It was making a point about how how phenomenally good and how phenomenally tough it is to get anywhere close to this Manchester City team. That was it. That was the point perfectly illustrated by what, by what you said there. It wasn't having a go at United. 
if I want to have a go at United, I'll just pull up the results from this season. Oh, here we go. Yeah, no, I'll talk. If, I, if I'm genuinely out to annoy United fans, I'll just say 9 0. That's all I'll say. Like, but I'm not. It's not the point. The point is talking about Manchester City. And, but again, another thing as well, it's so hard to like have a good conversation about football that once you've let someone know who you support, everybody sees biases in everything. It's, it's, Twitter is a dodgy space anyway, and it appears as if Reddit has been, inf- I mean, Reddit has long been. Inf- it was only one lone rabbit animal. Another uh, one of the animals tried to calm him, but it wasn't working. No. And uh, I know, I know. He's and been it's... put into a different cage. He's been, no, he's I... in isolation now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, um, yeah, no, your point, your point's well made and well illustrated. Uh, ah, it is, uh, it is what it is. And, and even Jurgen Klopp alluded to it in, at the end of the 18-19 season. He was asked about, you know, we've just ran up this massive point score and you know, how are you feeling? And he goes, I couldn't be prouder of the players. I couldn't be prouder of the club. It's only because there's Manchester City here that we're not champions. And that's that's a fact. Oh, um, yeah. There's an alternate universe where Liverpool are in the midst of one of the greatest runs we've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's true. And and again, I've said it. And uh, I don't want to sound like, uh, you know, one of those fans who um, wants to hold up a trophy for fourth place or something like that. But like mm, finishing second. Just leave that to me. <laughs> But finishing second to those teams, like I look back fondly on 1819, that run in, even though it ultimately ended with no trophy, that run in where, you know, we're, we're winning, you know, tight games away. It's up to the Southampton game sticks out in my mind, particularly, you know, those run ins and the run in this season, you know, I'll have fond memories of them. I'll be ultimately disappointed. We didn't close out. We didn't win, but, um, there's also a few things from this season, though, just not just to, to carp on about how, how great Manchester City are, because it, it's 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 kind of easy to do that. And it's also ground we'll be covering next week. So I don't want to go too deep on it um, before the Devundlings. But, you know, Liverpool, they'll look back. Uh, they'll look at Tottenham at home. They'll look at. I couldn't believe it when I went to the to the table today to have a kind of a look and and a bit of an investigation, but you know, Andrew, eight draws, only two defeats, but eight draws is when you're in a race against what you called a machine, it's it's too many. It's, it's two more than them. You know, you can't, you can't afford to do it. And it, um, it costs you in the end. Yeah. Like if you're you're going to break down, Places it went wrong, lose away at Leicester, um, and those some of those draws were, yeah, they they really they really came back and hurt the team. They're the difference, certainly. And again today, you know, it, it's funny because conceding the first goal for Liverpool, um, they did it again this afternoon, and and again they were able to rebound from it and go on and score three straight and and win it, um, but they didn't what did this wind up being the 12th time this 12 times in 38 games i think they've conceded yeah. first um like like we said the other day that is that's not a statistic that you would think you'd see for a team that finished a season with 92 points and there yeah. were a bunch of those games where they wound up surviving it but a lot of those were draws as well so i should i should point out though in the draws so if i'm going to pick the draw that you can't have you, the draw you can you're not allowed to have as Liverpool going against City. So they drew home and away with City. I would say 
they did they obviously needed to win that kind of what it felt like a championship final in early April. Okay, but they didn't. All right. So they drew home and away with Chelsea and home and away with Spurs. Mm-hmm. And then the final one to complete the draw Palooza, home to Brighton, the two two. <sighs> Can't yeah. do it. Yeah. Well, but there again, will I'm, be uh, yeah, there will be more Liverpool to discuss because they, unlike everyone else in this league, still have another game to play. Um, yes, arguably uh, their biggest one yet. We're on to Paris, mm-hmm. as are you specifically. Yes, sir. Um, so there is more Liverpool to discuss. We'll have not only the Devonlings midweek, but Friday midday or so. We should have a Champions League final preview with JJ in Paris. Yeah. Uh, so please, God, everything goes fine. I will be in Paris uh, talking to you fine people. So you'll so, have yeah. it for your um, you'll have it for your Friday evening commute. Yep. Which is perfect. Absolutely. So there you go. So that's that's a look at the title race again. Congratulations to Manchester City and, and, and this title race in general that we weren't sure was going to exist around December, January or so. And then, you know, City kind of took a breath and bang, Liverpool were there. I know for some, it was hard to believe that it would materialize. Not that I'm looking at anybody or, or anything like that. But uh, in the end, it was an unbelievable title race, one of the most memorable in the history of the Premier League era. So um, great, great stuff. Can we, we um, yeah. Can we circle back on one thing? Oh, or maybe we'll, actually we'll get to it. Don't worry. Apologies. Don't worry, baby. Don't do the baby thing in I this moment. All of... here, baby. All oh. right. God, you're just creeping out 50,000 people. That's not normal. We'll keep working our way uh, sequentially down the table here. That was the total race. So now we go to the top four. And for all the nervous energy that was circulating leading up to this, and I swear to you, it was not just me. I mean, I'm a listener of a few different Tottenham podcasts. I follow any number of Tottenham-related fan accounts. It was everyone. (laughs) It was everyone. No one felt safe leading into this and then you couldn't wait to make it worse i mean the, the tweet about um another potential food poisoning situation circulating through the tottenham dressing room went out from gary lineker you sent it to me within seconds within seconds of it uh, and i also uh, i also on on our twitter i put that tweet and i quote tweeted it with a gif of a lovely lasagna but in the end all of that nervous energy all of that potential spursiness it was for nothing, 5-0, um, and it could have been worse. I mean, I said to you at one point that, you know, Narch City are just, wow, um, they're horrifying. That's, that is one bad team. But Tottenham yeah, do it. And, yeah. and I, like, let's get this in early, Andrew. I look like such a fool. I loved all the business they did in the offseason. I thought they were going oh, to be good. That'll all be covered in the Devonlings. I went, I, I went back and I got all of our preseason predictions. Don't worry about that. Have you, got my, my, have you got my premonition or not even prediction, but my kind of uh, thought on the Ev? Mm-hmm. Have you got that? Oh, you have. <laughs> your, that was your mulligan, which wound up being one that you didn't want a mulligan. No. Yeah. Well, we'll I'll talk about that all during the debundlings. But uh, for Tottenham, Sun grabs two. He winds up sharing the golden boot with Mohamed Salah. Great, incredible achievement for Sun. Uh, book, you know, an exclamation point for him on, on his arguably his best season yet in the Premier League. He was fantastic. But um, even aside from him, not to gloss over that, that was he was there for me, probably their player of the season. But it was interesting. Harry Kane winds up finishing fourth in goals in the league this year. Uh, 
not a statement I thought I'd be saying after his first few months where it just felt like whether it was because his head was turned from city, whether it was whatever it had gone on with England at the euros in the summer before it just, mm. he didn't, it, it looked like this was going to be a down year for Harry Kane. It just didn't have that feel how Nuno was using him, whatever. And in the end, the last few months that he had to the season, it's the best version of him that I've seen. Um, whether that be goal scoring or, playmaking some of his assists i mean i was going back watching some tottenham clips from the season you know his bergwine is remembered for the two goals that he scored in leicester city to come back and win that deep in stoppage time but the, the second goal that bergwine scored the ball from kane i mean he just he just continues to be that guy and you know to be to finish the year fourth overall in goals i wouldn't have thought it and i just look at tottenham now and i i wonder I mean, who knows? We're in the moment still. Maybe this is prisoner of the moment stuff. It feels like a, at least somewhat of a transformative moment for them because it felt like today was a crossroads game for them. Um, if the if the disaster had happened and they had lost and Arsenal, sure enough, they, they beat Everton 5-1. Um, if that had happened, what happens with Conte? What happens with Kane? Yeah. Where do these guys go? And And what's more... The guys who could potentially be coming in to bolster the squad for a Champions League run next year. None of that happens. I think back, JJ, I think it was when Chelsea, the year that Tottenham finished fourth, but Chelsea had Bayern Munich in the Champions League final before the rules had been changed. And Chelsea wound up coming from behind, winning that Champions League final. And despite the fact that they finished outside the top four, they knocked Spurs out, they go in. And I don't know what was going to happen, but there were the rumors of, you know, Aiden Hazard deciding where he wanted to go, Spurs or Chelsea. And like decisions were made for guys when when stuff like that happens. And so it's, this was a shock. Like this was not, I don't think that this was something, if you think back to where Tottenham were uh, after Nuno was fired, you know, even Antonio Conte, he had a quote after this game, which was pretty powerful. Uh, he said he was asked if this was one of his biggest achievements in, in football. He said, I think so. Honestly, it's never positive to come to a team during the season. For me, it was a big challenge, maybe the biggest challenge in my career. I mean, some of that might be back padding for him. Some of that is but some of it is true. Stuff. And, and yeah. some of it is true. Like they yeah. were they were in a bad place. Um, and even during his time with Spurs, there were moments where you thought, oh, well, whatever positive momentum there had been gone now. Um, but they kind of kept going and their end of the season was incredibly strong. Arsenal sputtered and they pounced. Yeah, was, uh, it, this is, you know, we can make fun of top four trophies, but call it whatever you want for, for Tottenham. This is this is an unbelievable success for them. No, it's very good. A season completely transformed. Um also with the help of having teams around them. Like how many times did we think United were in pole position? How many times did we think Arsenal were in pole position? West Ham for a little while. And all of them wilted and faded while Tottenham just did enough and crucially got the wins that they needed to down the stretch where, where Arsenal had it in their hands and they let it slip. Um, but, you know, me and you were talking before about this and, and Conte coming in and, you know, it's probably a bit of hyperbole to say it's his greatest achievement. Although considering... He doesn't like to be jettisoned in mid-season. He, he looked like he wanted to quit after a month. Um, he wanted out. Pretty much uh, he said had, it. He had injuries. Once he found a balanced team, the next thing, uh, you know, he had injuries that upset that. The way the signings he made, uh, I just did not see them making the impact that they have. They absolutely. 
they absolutely did. Benton Kerr and Kulishevsky have been revelations. Yeah, I wanted uh, to talk about that a little bit. Um, you know, because, yeah, the, the January window, certainly. But he complained about signing them as well. Well, he did. So he I, said, that's he said the these thing. are younger guys. They're not the, they're not the experienced. Uh, like, he's, he has oscillated for, for as good as he has been. He has oscillated wildly between, between positions. Like, JJ, uh, I'm not here to win fourth. Winning fourth's the best thing I've ever done. JJ, I want he's, to leave. He's a I'm maniac. Going to stay. He's a maniac, JJ. Yeah. For for however much I love him, uh, and for however much I'll always kind of cherish this this achievement and the way this season transpired, he's out of his mind. He's a crazy person, uh, and maybe that's what makes him great. Yeah. Um, but like those transfers, look, I'll give Conte credit for recognizing what what he was given. And putting those guys in positions and understanding that, oh no, these aren't just bit parts. Like these, this is my 11 now. Kulisevsky, Bentoncourt, they came into Spurs. And I don't, I don't think it was known that those guys were going to be part of Tottenham's 11, but they, they so clearly were. And they're huge reasons why Tottenham are where they're at today. But like, I don't know that I'm going to give Conte credit for those transfers happening because you're right. It seemed like he was skeptical of them. I think that these are Paratici signings and okay. not just those two, but I mean, and I know he, he wound up missing the end of the season through injury, but my God, I mean, Christian Romero, like Tottenham have found their, their key piece at center back moving forward for who knows how many years to come. He's such a young player and he's brilliant. So, you know, those, those players coming in were massively important to, to Spurs getting to this point. But I think even aside from that, you know, we talked JJ about the importance too of not just bringing players in, but letting players go. I think Tottenham's January was a chance for them to kind of rid themselves of whatever reset things. Yeah. If you want to call it dead weight, if you want to call it just like guys who maybe were kind of like upsetting the balance of the dressing room, you know, in Dombele, heel, LaCelso, like guys who like, it just wasn't working. And I know I spoke at length about the frustration of Ndombele not working out. Cause I see how good he is, but like, they, those, these guys had to go. It wasn't helping. Deli Alley too. I mean, that was a little tougher because there's, you know, there are moments that you look back on fondly with him, but they, they had to turn the page on some of these players. Definitely. And I think understanding that and allowing other guys to then step in and, and flourish in their wake, it was, it all led to, to this moment for Tottenham. Um, and so with that, I also wanted to briefly touch on Arsenal um, whose season ended today in the Europa League, five-one winners over Everton. JJ, I don't know more than any other team in this league. I don't know how to feel about what we just watched for Arsenal because, mm-hmm. like, nothing happens in a vacuum. Everything is related to what's come before. Circumstances dictate expectations. All that stuff. But like, Arsenal were never really supposed to challenge for fourth, and I know that their fan base will never forgive this team for that capitulation against Newcastle. And I get it. If I were an Arsenal fan, I would never forget that either. But I do wonder if a a day will come and maybe it won't come until they're playing in the Europa League and they're in the quarterfinals or semifinals and there's a big night at the Emirates. Who knows? But I do wonder if a day will come where Arsenal fans will look at this season a little bit differently than maybe how they're looking at it now. That's so difficult to ascertain because in ordinary circumstances, I would say this is a team that is getting transitioning away from from some dead wood moving like it's this is such a you know in in part you know within Ketia and Saka and Odegaard like a young team and then you've got some guys who've just been hanging around for a while and you're wondering about holding um you're wondering about 
Obviously, the, the fullbacks that played today, Cedric and Tavares, they'll well, Tavares is decent, but um, I mean, Cedric's not a, a starter for them really, and and things will change when they get some guys back from from injury. But you know, I I think the challenge for Arsenal now, and the predictor of whether what you'll say will come true about them talking in the future about you know what that season. It wasn't so bad. We were trending in the right direction. If anything, it was the start of it. Whether they have those conversations or not will be down to uh, the manager and the sporting director, Edu. That's who it's going to come down to. Mm -hmm. And can they make the, the key signings in Europe ahead of the teams that are around them? So Manchester United, West Ham, um, Tottenham, but mostly, can they get ahead of Newcastle? Yeah, that's a that's a variable. Certainly, there is no. It's a huge part of it because it, this thing this thing needs replenishing. It's not going to. There's hope for Arsenal, but it's not going to rest solely on the younger players they have here. Like, can they go in and attract top class players to come to Arsenal? To flip the obviously, I don't know what's coming through their academy. I've no idea. I'd I'd have to do some kind of deep dive or talk to someone. You know what's what's coming along that's that's potentially able to come in and impact that first team. But when I look at like the teams that are attractive that you might want to go to now, can Arsenal match wages? Can they match money? Can they get in there and compete? Uh, like I said on last week's pod. There's a new shark in the tank and Arsenal will be competing against them for players. So that's, that is actually the thing for me as the, as the squad stands now, it needs renewal, further renewal. And there are young players there, but you're right. I mean, guys like Lacazette, what is his future there? Like, how, how much longer do you want to keep him going? Like burnt Leno, Ben White, he'll get well, they've, another they've season. Moved, I mean, Leno, they've moved on from Ramsdale is their keeper. I know, but, have they well, moved ben on? Ben White the, only just got there. Right. Have they moved on from Burnt Leno's wages? And they've already got another goalkeeper coming in as well. Um, what, 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 uh, Nicholas Pepe? Like, oh, yeah. do, do you stick or twist with him? What do you do? Emil Smith Rowe, is he going to continue to be de- developed and be a guy that they can have for the future? Or is his level a bit lower? Like, these are all questions, but I do think they need to be able to make signings, like big signings. And you don't see them in those conversations lately in transfer windows no no you don't look if i were let's say i were a producer at amazon and i was in charge of trying to put a positive spin on the end of this year's all or nothing featuring arsenal all corporate andy it's a little bit of a challenge but what you would do is you know you would end with some graphic of you know two years ago arsenal finished with 56 points Last year, they finished with 61 points. That's not how you'd finish it. This year, they finished with 69. That's a, I mean, from, you know, that's a 13-point jump from two years ago, an eight-point jump from one year ago. That's, that is positive momentum. For however much, however much it might not feel like it after the, the North London Derby and the Newcastle match, it is positive momentum. They're in the Europa League, so they'll have European football. I don't know, maybe, who knows? Maybe they see the Europa League as, as a hindrance. I wouldn't if I were them. Um, I think that's something that they should really like take a hold of and, and yeah, go yeah. and really try to win. Embrace it. Yeah. Lean into it. Yeah. Um, yeah. <clears throat> but yeah, we'll see. I, I don't, very confusing season for them. 
JJ, let's leap now from top four and let's go to the bottom. <sighs> Leads. The drama. They stay up. They yep. stay up. They leapfrog Burnley, who will be going down. Uh, and it is Jesse Marsh and Leeds United Football Club staying up. Um, Rafinha converting a penalty. Then it was equaled up at 1-1. And then deep into stoppage time off a corner kick, ball comes out to Jack Harrison, who smashes one home to put on the finishing touches. And the scenes when that happened, I mean, the away end, obviously, it was yeah unspeakable jubilation. But then the camera cut to Jesse Marsh, who was on the ground, tackled by two of his assistants. And you could, when he got up, you could just see it all over his face, how, how much this obviously meant to him, uh, to that club. Big moment, really big moment for Leeds. Huge, huge and, moment. And it's funny because like it's, it's a bit of an opposite of what I was just talking about with Arsenal. Like Arsenal end the year on a down note, so you're not sure how to judge it. Leeds end this year on a positive note, so you're going to leave it feeling good. But like if you go back, JJ, and you think about what we thought of Leeds coming into the season, a, I mean, it's just an unbelievable disappointment that their season was was at this point, uh, that they were bottom three entering into the final day. We thought this was going to be a really good team this year. Marcelo Bielsa out, new manager comes in. So it was, I mean, it was a bad year for Leeds, and they're going to have to work hard, I would think, this summer to ensure that this doesn't happen again. And that doesn't only mean bringing in new players, but they're going to have a hard time keeping some of their own. I think... I mean, injuries impact every team. I think they impacted Leeds massively. I I also believe, you know, I think, I mean, Leeds fans won't want to hear this, but it, Bielsa, the, the rigid sticking to of, of a system that was clearly just shipping goals, something had to change. I'm still, and the Leeds fan base are still not convinced or sure about Jesse Marsh yet. This today will go some way towards uh, doing that, but I think Jesse Marsh needs to be backed now. It's going to be huge for uh, Andrea Radrizzani, um, Victor Orta, who has come under both those two figures have have taken way more of the pressure and the heat and the abuse from lead supporters than Jesse Marsh has. Because however way you want to spin it, Jesse Marsh is only in the job a wet weekend. <laughs> you know, he, a lot of the pre-existing structural problems in that squad. There's a lot of players, Andrew, and they might not be Premier League players. They made a run their nuts off for Marcelo Bielsa. They may have been completely committed to that system, but you added, you just only had to sprinkle in a few injuries into that squad and they were decimated. They were in serious trouble. I mean, how many times did they have like 15 and 16 year olds on the bench this season? Partially, mm -hmm. that I think that was due to COVID. Bielsa felt like playing on during that, but it just shows that the, the lack of depth in the squad but not so much depth, actual Premier League players. So if Radrizzani and the 49ers think they're going to do this on the cheap, this season shows that they can't do that. Let's hear from Jesse Marsh, though. Um, I listened to, I woke up on Friday morning and I rolled over, flicked on my phone, and I saw that the Jesse Marsh press conference at Leeds United was going on. So I listened to that, the relentless positivity. You got to give him credit for that. It's his outlook, at least outwardly, was always, we're going to get this thing done. We're going to be okay. I believe in this team. Um, just completely upbeat. Uh, this is what he said after the game to Phil Hay of The Athletic. I believe that we were going to do this. 
There wasn't one day I didn't believe. That's why I didn't talk about being in the championship. I've heard this about Leeds a lot. We always think we have to do it the hard way. Part of the job is to change that mentality, mentality to say we deserve more. We have an incredible club, an incredible team. It's been very important three months for me and my connection to the club. I know the players more. I'm much more aware of who we are and what we are. This is not about one person and certainly not about me. Don't worry about me. If you want to criticize me, that's the job. I don't care. What's most important is that we're Leeds United. So saying all the right things. Um, I think they need to spend, Andrew. Well, according like, to some I know reports, Bamford's coming back. I know they'll have a healthy Calvin Phillips. Um, uh, yeah, but all hugely important things. And according to some reports, Tom Bogert uh, reporting that they already the spending has already begun, and it looks like another American will be headed to Leeds. Brendan Aronson. This was rumored for a while, and Tom Bogert saying uh, that in the in the days to come it could be finalized 30 million dollars um last week it was contingent upon leads remaining in the premier league and not being relegated Uh, so i think that's soon i think that's a good signing i heard as well that they were talking about signing or there was rumors that leads were interested in signing jordi mihailovic another u.s international love Um, what he's doing at montreal yeah what he's doing at montreal getting him in um but we'll see. I, I think you, they, you I, want to deal in rumors today of all days. I no, mean, wow. I think they need, but I think they need a center back. I think they need another center midfield. Uh, they've got to figure out what they're going to do to replace Dallas, who is going to be out for a little bit. Um, I think there's a lot of work there to be done. Um, no more than one of the teams we're probably going to get to very soon. Everton. Yeah. Do you want to go there? Or do you want to do Burnley first? I'll let you handle Burnley and then we'll, we'll go in on Everton. Yeah. So I got straight after the game, Andrew, uh, when I should have been logging in to connect with you for the podcast, I just went on to my, um, I went on to my Twitter, Andrew, as I, as I am wont to do. And uh, a former Leeds United uh, player who never made a first team appearance for them, but I played Gaelic football against him when I was a kid and uh, he had a good career in Ireland. And he's now a fairly prominent uh, broadcaster in Ireland, Alan Cawley. He actually was on the bench for Leeds during that Champions League run in the early 2000s. So he was, he was almost there. Um, and uh, obviously he follows, follows football really closely. But he tweeted, madness dispensing of Sean Dyche. And I replied, ah, no, Alan. I couldn't leave it. He goes, question mark. He'd have kept them up. Madness. So I said, uh, I said they had like four wins in six months under Dyche and they got three wins in like two weeks under yeah, Mike I'm, Jackson. Where is the evidence to support that argument? Yeah, well, he kind of deflected away from it then and said, Alan said that, well, you know, he's been there almost a decade. He deserved the chance to, to go down with the ship. And then if they come back, he was one of the best people positioned to bring them back from the championship. And I'm like, those are theories as much as I, I'm not a fan of the new ownership of Burnley, and now Burnley are in an awful position because if, if the reports we believe are correct, they, the leverage buyout of the club means that they have to make a 60 million repayment to the banks immediately on relegation. Mm. I mean, that yeah. is... Yeah, they're in trouble. They're in huge trouble now with what happened today. But as much as I don't like that ownership, um, what evidence do they have that Deich, that they would have won any of those games? You know, 
that the they, whole the, the whole down with the ship thing. You're confused have, by it. I have a hard time with that. I just do. You can have eternal respect for a manager as a fan, but also sometimes feel that like you're not bigger than the club, no matter who you are. Like our our survival, our continuing to to remain in the Premier League, I think is is what's paramount. And yeah, I mean, look, you can make the case that Deitch being given as long of a chance as he was to try to get things right, that was like that that in itself was ownership's favor to Sean Deitch. He probably should have been gone earlier. I how I bad this season totally was. Totally agree with you. And you know, I listened to him. Deitch did his first interview last week with uh, the players' chair Richie Sadler on the second captain's podcast feed. And Dice said Alan Pace, the Wall Street guy, the owner, called him up to the office. It was a five to 10 minute conversation. He said, we're moving in a different direction, Sean. Dice said, fine. He texted his wife. He said, being sacked, we'll see you in due course. Oh, my God. The formality. (laughs) Yeah, right. Now, this is Dice telling Richie Sadler. I'm not making this up. Yeah. Went downstairs, said goodbye to the players, shook hands with some of them. It took all in probably 20 to 25 minutes and he was gone. So I'm not saying Dice was happy he was sacked, but he understood that this this was coming. And and the problem is we've created, and please do not let me go off on a tangent, but we've created such, to your point, a a vortex in the Premier League where owners and uh players and managers are so desperate to be there that they can't countenance it can't be just like well you know what we'll go down we'll play we'll spend the season in the championship there's like only norwich and west brom operate <laughs> with that kind of mentality everybody else is has pumped so much money into it that they got to stay up it's 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 everything but if nothing else you owe it i, I think you owe it to your fan base to do everything in your power to at least try I'd say that was still a pro Daesh fan base at the end. Ask them today. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think uh, Mike Jackson, I kind of feel sorry for him. He did all he could. Him. He done all he could. He, within a very short space of time, I mean, Dick became instantly better. Alan did concede, Alan Cawley did concede this point to me on Twitter. I said, they became instantly better, Alan, from Daesh leaving. Like, that's no small feat to get a team playing a completely different way. His substitution of out Veghorst against Watford was just in the second half when it wasn't working out. Your the player you your record signing hooked him, puts Ashley Barnes on, and they come back from one 0 down, and they win the game. So like Jackson showed he was a good manager and and kind of showed that there was a paucity of imagination in what Dice was doing by the end, and that the decision was probably the right one. But that's Burnley anyway. I mean, I. W- there's a classic line, Andrew, that it, almost every English pundit on Sky Sports, you always hear it and you'll hear it on Talk Sport too. It gets to the last few games of the season and someone will ask them about the relegation and, and they'll go, you know, Burnley, I, I, I fear for them. I fear for them. That's the big line. I, and I'm in love with it now. I started using it for, for everything. Like, you know, the cat will come in and start crying. I, it'll be way too early for me to feed it. And I'll just look at the cat and I said, your chances of getting food, you know, I fear for it. I really mm. do. You know, I'm using it everywhere. It's great. Um, but I fear for Burnley now as a club. Like that this isn't the only trapdoor they're going through. If, if the Daily Mail reports from February are correct, 
the parachute payments will help, but they'll be almost eaten up by the repayments to the bank. It's I, I don't think we'll see them back anytime soon. Uh, that's that's. I fear for them. Hearing you say that, I hear. I fear for them. Uh, and JJ, one of the teams that it came at the expense of was Everton. We haven't been on. We haven't done a podcast since what happened on Thursday. It's just one of the most memorable games you'll see. Uh, Everton coming from two goals down. The scenes to win it the way that they did. Fans just so beside themselves that on 86 minutes, they're on the pitch. <laughs> it's just like the, the wildness, the, the release of joy and relief, all of those things for this club that... I, 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 I expected to see our three mutual um, blue noses, Doug, yeah. Shafay, and Jason, like running onto the field. That wouldn't have... That wouldn't have shocked me in the least if they'd actually sprinted from uh, from America to get there. Like it was such a release of joy, um, also a release of being an absolute little little scumbag. The guy who went after uh, Patrick Vieira, mm-hmm. which we'll get to in a minute um, mm-hmm. with pitch invasions. We'll talk more about that. But it was it was utterly amazing. They were done and dusted. They were like two nil down you thought this is going to the last day and they're not going to beat Arsenal. They're, they're, they're just not going to do it. And that's, that'll, that'll be it. Um, but they pulled it around. They turned it around. Um, Seamus Coleman, who's been responsible for some catastrophes this season in that Everton defense mm-hmm. uh, from pretty much from Mo Salah's goal on in the Derby. Uh, he, that moment where, He's wrestling with Wilfried Zaha to get the ball and win the free kick that ends up on the head of Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Just this unbelievable moment. <laughs> and one of the great moments, apparently Everton do a, I, I got to get involved with this, a tunnel cam thing, a dressing room documentary thing, okay. like a regular regular pieces from the, from the locker room, from that narrow tunnel in Goodison Park. And <laughs> All right, yeah. So, uh, yeah, because they were there. Lampard is in the locker room afterwards and uh i just want you to think of being with a college friend that you haven't seen in forever and you get drunk together and you're in a nostalgic mood and you're remembering the good times and you put your arm around him and you just go mm. you know you're you're the best man there's no one like you andrew you're the best or that text message you always send me every christmas party you always send me a very emotional happy text that was lampard with Seamus Coleman. He like picks him up and he goes, this I've is seen one, the video. This is one of the best men. This is the, and he corrects himself. This is the best man I've ever met. <laughs> Lampard is so full of relief at what's happened that he's almost forgotten Seamus Coleman's entire season and just remember that one moment. Now Seamus Coleman by, by and large is a great guy, but the relief for Lampard. Oh yeah. Andrew, they, I can't tell you the bullet they've dodged. Mm-hmm. It is just unbelievable. And, you know, the, the, the joy, I mean, it was, it was celebration. Sure. It was relief, but that's, that's probably their best moment. Their most joyous moment since they won the cup in 95. And it's through being bad. <laughs> that's how it's happened, which, feels like an Everton thing, but they have every right 
they're very right to celebrate it. They really do. Now, you talk about the relief. Are, are we sure? Because prior to today, Burnley and Leeds were, were both demanding an investigation into Everton and their financial um, behavior. Yes. I mean, and they will probably get that investigation because the numbers are, are eye-watering. Now, I don't know where I read or I heard this, but someone said that they're... I have the figures in front I of me, if, what, if, you're, if that's what you're driving towards. Yeah, go on. Um, there's basically, they're demanding an inquest into the reported three-year losses for Everton of... 371.8 million pounds mm. that's over a three-year stretch and they basically want to know how this is not a breach of financial rules i mean it's a fair question the premier league's pro i'm reading from football 365 the premier league's profit and financial sustain uh, sustainability rules allow clubs to lose a maximum of 105 million pounds over a three-year period or face sanctions which include points deductions for serious breaches if the rules call for 105 million in losses over a three-year stretch, and Everton are reportedly at just a little bit under 400 million, almost four times the amount. I mean, I don't want to rain on the parade here, but like, is that not "quote unquote" a serious breach? If not that, then what? So, look, ultimately, I can't. I just simply can't envision this being taken away from Everton. Um, I don't know what this inquest, if it goes forward, what it will yield. Um, but I, I just, after all this, I just don't think the outcome will be, wait a minute, time out, switch it, Burnley, you're back. Like, I just can't, I can't see it happening. Well, so, so I, I just found the article I was reading on Sky. Everton are confident they have complied by FFP rules after Burnley and Leeds threatened legal action. So Premier League rules allow clubs to lose a maximum of 105 over three years, yeah. pound sterling. Clubs have been allowed to write off losses caused by the pandemic. In their latest accounts, Everton said 170 million of their losses were caused by the pandemic. Now, that has to be proven in an audit. So an Everton spokesman said, we have worked closely with the Premier League to make sure we are compliant. We're comfortable we've complied with the rules. External auditors have told us what we can and cannot claim against the pandemic. If clubs want to take legal action against us, that's their decision. So they're saying that they can write this off against the pandemic. Must be fun to be their accountant right now. Oh, my God. Figure it out. <laughs> like, he's just being barked at. <laughs> Figure it out. Find a way. Yeah, strapped to a chair in a, right. in a dark office in Goodis at Goodison Park. Right, like, they, mm. like, everyone else avoided relegation on Thursday. That guy didn't. He's working hard right now. <laughs> that guy's working real hard. Um, we should uh, talk so, about the pitch invasion. But yeah, all that aside, what you saw the other day, because I talked before, similar thing, 2-0 down in a game you have to win. With Manchester City, I'm not saying I expected it, but like once the ball started rolling and that snowball started going down the mountain. You knew it. You feel it. You just feel it with City. Everton ain't that club. No. Like, <laughs> so like, even when they get one back, you think, all right, well, no, not going to turn this off yet. They tie it up, but you still think, no, they couldn't possibly do this, could they? Like with City, you're like, went that third's coming. With Everton, it's like, no, what? And they did it on a on a beautiful goal. The ball in from Gray, the diving header from Calvert Lewin, just the scenes. Like somebody out there's got to have just a perfect picture of that that sunset. JJ, like the oh, sky was... was like orange pink. They're celebrating with the fans. There's people on the field. It's just like it's just like a still image. 
it's just one of the most unforgettable I've seen in this league. It was, it was fantastic. And then, yeah, you want to talk about the pitch invasion. Um, well, but, but first of all, can I just circle back to Lampard for one second? Because I, I don't want to miss out on this because mm-hmm. I think this is accurate. Uh, Gavin Cooney of the 42 uh, sports magazine wrote Lampard is so chaotic. I have no idea what he is trying to do. He changed system. He changed the system Wait for this after every defeat bar one this season. But he did a great job of tapping into that remarkable Goodison crowd. I am not tapping into it. He joined it, Gavin. He literally got up on the rafters with them. I am not convinced of the half-life of it all, but he has done the job he was asked. I responded, he's done the job in the same way a surgeon called in for non-life-threatening surgery almost kills his patient before saving them right at the death has done his job, which is exactly what happened. You know, but... Right, you can't... (laughs) As a criminal, like you can't take a, a, a hostage and like hold them over a building, over the ledge of a building. And then when you like bring them back to safety, say, yeah. I saved this man's life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He is alive, if not for me. I punched Andrew in the face. But uh, you know what? I was the first person there to tend to him when, <laughs> when he was bleeding. Like it doesn't, it doesn't really work like that. Um, pitch invasion. Yes. I... I mean, we've seen so much bad. I mean, so conflicted. It's I I won't change from my original position, which is I think it's great to see because I like the idea of the fans. I know the pitch is the domain of the players during the game and should be during most games before it, after, during whatever. But in those moments, I like to see the fans, the joy, the release of of celebration and and the idea that they are in communion with their football club because i think that turf is theirs as much as it is anyone's in a different maybe in a different way however there are too many scumbags for want of a better word because there's no way to describe what was done to billy sharp as anything other than than it was horrible and also what was done i think it was was port vale players and whatever whatever game port vale were involved in um uh, League Two, or I, I guess promotion game. Um, I saw Port Vale on Twitter. They lost to oh yeah, they they lost to um, they lost to Swindon Town in the League Two semi final, and Swindon Town fans abusing Port Vale players, and the Port Vale players took to Twitter. So we've had that. Um, well, that's the problem ultimately with with the pitch invasion, with rushing the court, with all these things. Is like if the if it could just only be about guys. celebrating your team. Yeah. And hugging your players and all that. If it could just be about that, and you like, then it's fun and it's a great scene. But unfortunately, there are bad apples in every one of these crowds that are going to get in the face of the wrong guy on the other team. And it, and like, it is all such a, a horrible accident waiting to happen. We've had a lot of like ugly. I mean, what happened? Billy Sharp would tell you that it's no longer an accident waiting to happen. It happened. You know, Vieira having to kick a fan to the ground. Like, it's all... The fact like, Vieira went back to kick him. Also, the fact the fan... Do you know who you're, you're taunting? Have you seen, the, have you seen the, the, the view from the camera, of the camera phone of the supporter? The camera phone. No, like I've it. only seen from, like, the, the far, like, oh, zoomed-in view. Oh, God, I should have sent that to our thread. You, basically, let me give you the, the version. He's right up in his face saying... <clears throat> F you, F you, look at that, you, you effing whatever, look at that, look at that. And the driving force behind all of this is that he's recording it. Mm-hmm. So we know what this is for. 
Look, people have always acted like morons and clowns and disgustingly towards other people. I get that. But I feel for the football supporter, the social media element, the fact that he can broadcast that to all his mates and for it to go viral, that he did this to Patrick Vieira on the field afterwards, that this is his video, his moment, is a huge driving factor. Because his phone was the only thing between him and Vieira's face, mm. screaming, throwing his fingers around, you know, just abusing him. I, I don't think, I, I don't know what's going to happen. Hopefully Vieira isn't fined or. No, I would, that would to me be the wrong outcome. Problem is he went back and kicked them. Like, that would be the wrong outcome to me. Yeah. And I mean, I there will be people who say you got to be above it. Just walk away. No, but you got thousands being... of people yeah. in, invading your personal space in an area where, as far as you're concerned, they're not supposed to be. You're entitled to a certain level of self-defense. Now, maybe people say that wasn't self-defense. That was him on the attack. Not when you don't, not when you are that out of control of what the situation is. And when you got thousands of, of crazed lunatics on the field, I think you, I think you can defend yourself. And I think Patrick Vieira could play that card. I, uh, I agree with you. Um, I agree with you, Andrew. Uh, Anton else on Everton? Uh, no, just that like sort of to close on them, kind of what you were discussing before. Um, a lot they're, of in the, they're in the midst of like a moment of good feelings. Uh, but like that, that's going to subside soon. And then they're going to be, they're going to sit back and they're going to think like, yikes, we got a lot of work to do here. Yeah. <laughs> this was, this was, the, this was like, we, we received the ability here to learn a lesson without having to pay the price. But like Agreed. they got real close to having to oh, pay the so price. Close. So like, I don't know if, if these well, I don't know what their losses in the end are going to be ruled to be like whatever financial. Here's what I do know. It ain't good. All right. They've spent a ton of money and it's gotten them to the point where they are thanking God they weren't relegated. All right. So they don't have unlimited funds to get their way out of this. It's going to have to be a lot of players who are there currently or this manager who's there currently, like Everton or not, they, they, that time of them being able to try and spend their way out of previous mistakes, I think no. that window has, has closed. So like, yeah, they can make tweaks, but it's going to be a lot of this group moving forward. Now, whether that means they're headed for another few years of relegation races, or if this was an outlier and they're just a solid mid table team, we don't know that yet, but that's, I think that's what we're about to find out. And it's, um, it's going to be interesting because if they're waiting for that, that golden ticket of some massive signing to come in and change things. And I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be holding my breath for that. I just wouldn't. Um, I final thing on Everton. I um, texted, by the way, I got another thing. I might as well air this. I got called uh -oh. a liar on Twitter yesterday for saying I was delighted Everton stayed up two things. Did I enjoy the fact that they were in a relegation race and, and was it great drama and brilliant to watch? Yeah, I did enjoy that. In the end, I was happy they stayed up. And I said that and I texted it to two Everton fans and an Everton fan texted me, a mutual friend of ours. Mm -hmm. And yet some little twit on, on, on Twitter is telling me that, oh, really? Are you lying to? What did he say? I, I was lying to myself. Like, no. And you know why I always love Everton? <laughs> you know why I always love Everton, Andrew? Oh, here we go. Because they're when I sent away a letter, aged eleven, oh. looking for a trial, they responded on with a with a letter themselves on beautiful paper, headed paper, and everything, which I fear my mother has thrown out. Oh no, 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 no. Yeah. Anyway, that's more bitterness. But uh, oh yeah, so I texted Doug 
And I said, um, I think they should leave it 10 days maybe, but they should sack Lampard now. Because this is what we were talking about in January, you know, or February. At the end of February, was it? We were, me and you, on the podcast said, do you, do you get rid of him now? This is... JJ, it was when I went into my whole Big Sam Dark Knight thing. Oh, that's right. Yes. It yeah. was that dire. It was that dire. We forget and we weren't so wrong. No, we weren't wrong. But uh, that's not going to happen now. So Frank's going to be there until I would think November. Already making preseason predictions. <laughs> who, who enters next season on the hottest seat? You're not crazy. You're not crazy. Uh, it is wild on that note. We're going to take a break in a second. Then we'll close with a couple things, including Mbappe. Um, but like, I, I believe I heard the stat said at the, uh, the end of the games today, um, nine of the 20 teams changed managers at some point during the season, essentially half the league finished the year with a different manager than what they started it with. That is, that trend is crazy to me. That is yeah. just, that's wild. Um, for a lot of build it, anything? Well, what's that? How do you? How do you build anything? Like there's some managers that I guess it's, I guess there is no building in the Premier League. You win. And then when you stop winning, you change manager. I guess that's it. There's that's, no, that longer, is, that's the cycle we're in right now. There's no, there's no longer Alec Ferguson getting like almost four years. Like you, I know it's a, a proper football man refrain, but you know, people say about the modern era, Fergie wouldn't have lasted. <laughs> he wouldn't have been given a chance. And also, you know what? I'm, I'm rethinking that statistic. I wonder if it's not nine teams or just nine changes because some teams had multiple changes, right? I, I don't know. I almost, you're I, I you're almost throwing this at me. I have I no idea. I'm sorry to have done this to you. I'm you're just looking through it quickly. All right. Tottenham, they changed. Uh, so that, you count while I say them. Okay. Right. Tottenham. One. United. Two. Uh, did Wolves change? I'm trying to remember now. No, they changed, at the, they changed okay. before that. Newcastle. Three. Um, two. Well, three. We'll count them as three. Okay. Villa. Four. Everton. Five. Leeds. Six. Burnley. Seven. Watford. Eight. Norwich. Nine. Watford shouldn't count. Why? Because that's what Watford do. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but so, so nine is the number. You know, yes. You know, Unreal. sometimes like Watford managers... You can be given the job, and then just as you're about to leave the interview, you can get the sack. That's how it works. <laughs> uh, all right, let's go ahead. Let's, uh, whew, man, let's take a break. This is going to be a long podcast. I swear I could do six hours today and not even blink. Um, let's take a break. We'll come back. We'll wrap up with a couple closing thoughts. Mbappe, Liverpool in the Champions League final. Uh, Sunderland back in the championship. Sunderland back in the championship. We'll close on a couple things. A little bit more caught offside still to come. Don't go anywhere. Back now on caught offside final Sunday of the season. I'm so I'm, I'm really I'm bummed that it's over. I'm bummed that it's over. It's been such a fixture in my life for all these many months now. But, but now, there you is still... talk, now you get to talk endless MLS. Which, by the way, I should say, I'm not even going to sugarcoat it. We have been flat out bereft in our duties. We've ignored it. It's not right. Doesn't mean we haven't been watching or paying attention. It's just. The way that the Premier League has concluded and the way that, you know, before that, the Champions League League, and before that, just like the wild U.S. men's national team stuff that had coincided. 
I, I hate saying this about our own domestic league, but it, it got a little bit boxed out of this podcast. We were wrong to do it. I won't say we won't do it again. There's a chance it could happen again one day, but we were wrong and we'll be wrong again the next time it happens. But now as things begin to subside, um, I do only look you apologize for things I, we're I going apologize. to do in the future. Yeah, oh. yeah. I'm pre-apologizing for my next mistake, which will inevitably be made. That's correct. Uh, but yeah, I do because we we do have a I have a lot to say on a lot of things that have happened, and we just have not had like the space to do it. So we will, we will. Don't worry. I'm sorry though, MLS lovers out there. I'm sorry. We we've we've done wrong by you, and um, we'll continue to for at least the remainder of this podcast. Because JJ, a couple other things. Uh, we'll stay with the Premier League. We'll finish on Mbappe, but um, Liverpool, like I said, they do have one more game to play. The Champions League final is um, next weekend, of course, in Paris. Liverpool, Real Madrid, and um, I know you are uh, you are finally poised for your flight out. Seems like all of your arrangements have been made except for that one key one. Yeah. So take, if there's anyone ticket. out there, is any connections, corporate or otherwise, oh, I will that's... even go. I will go as a cameraman. Oh, this is what it's come to. Uh, he's, yeah, he's it has. on a podcast begging for help. Yeah, I mean, I've already asked the powers that be in uh, in our little corner of the world, and that was. Uh, met with a fairly resounding i'm sorry who are you <laughs> not quite that not oh, quite that but okay. um yeah a kind of a there's it's very difficult for anybody to get out in fact by the way that's I've not heard me of criticizing right... espn like I, you can't get like super bowl tickets just because you're like even important no. people at espn don't get super bowl tickets like no, wait, wait 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 i'm not i'm not criticizing espn wait you hear yeah. this and i won't go into too many details because it's a private conversation but i know of a prominent person who is a who is part of a team that are the rights holders and that person has been told there's no chance they're getting a ticket for the final yeah so i mean so it's it's a so problem like, there's only seventeen thousand tickets going to liverpool fans Seventeen thousand. i mean it's nothing hmm. and there's x amount then going to real madrid fans a similar number and then the rest is all taken by corporate by everybody else and corporates and the whole like so it's 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 way worse than um, than Kiev, and because it's an accessible city, Paris, a city people can get to easily. That there are multiple flights for every country going in and out of, <clears throat> makes it much harder. Kiev was was more of a bottleneck, harder to get into. So um, here's my only my only other question for you. Okay, and I I think I know the answer to this. Would there be a moment where you bail? On I'm, go- I'm going to Paris. Yeah. No. Okay. I'm talking about. All right. All right. There's going to be 100,000 Liverpool fans in the city anyway. Right. So it'll be fun one way or the other. It'll be interesting. I also want to line up a bunch of interviews. I just want to drink coffee by the Seine and, and talk football with people who are way more intelligent than me. Well, that won't be hard. Um, oh, the low-hanging fruit. I got him. I got him. Um, well, yeah, I can't wait for Friday when we record with you uh, in Paris. That should be, uh, that should yeah, be a lot of fun. Yeah, you'll hear it through, through the crunching of a croissant. Nice. I will be unbearable, by the way. You know, <laughs> me in Paris. Oh, yeah. Oh, your attempts at speaking French. Oh, my God. Like, I've already tried. Oh, the I, number of times I've already heard you say I'm in gay Paris. Like, I can clearly tell you've fallen in love with that line for whatever oh, reason. It's just well, I'm, I'm dreadful. I'm dreadful. Um, yeah. but I'm trying to remember all my high school French. I was fairly decent, but like the tenses, though, everything is the verbs. It's 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 tough. Um. Yeah, but uh, no, there's, uh, you know, je suis désolé. 
or I will be desolate. If I, I will be upset, I will be sad. I will be sorry. Actually, ju- just we desolate is I am sorry. That's not going to work. See, right, I don't well, even figure it out. You got a week to figure it out. One thing while we've been, uh, while we've been recording here, I've kind of been just glancing at Twitter here and there. Um, a couple of cool scenes have developed over the, the last hour or so. Well, while we're talking about Liverpool, um, JJ Divacarigi was given a guard of honor today. Oh, um, wow, he was injured, couldn't make the squad apparently. Yeah, he was given a guard of honor. Uh, the the players lined up um, alongside, and uh, he walked through. The the every fan stayed, and he was wished well. It's it's <laughs> one of those players that like Liverpool fans of this era when they like explain this era to their children or grandchildren one day they'll have to explain him. Like it's not going to be abundantly clear to anyone. <laughs> just like what his impact was. It, you kind of almost had to be there to yeah. understand it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, very amazing. cool. Very cool for the way that it was acknowledged today as he's, as he'll be leaving the club this summer. Yeah, no, he's been, um, you can't fault him. Come into games, influence games. He's, he's been great. Yeah. And then one other scene that was truly emotional uh, at the Etihad in Manchester, um, Alexander Zinchenko took the uh, the Premier League trophy and wrapped it in the Ukrainian flag and broke down. Mm-hmm. I mean, really broke down uh, just like, I guess, you know, as he did it, like the gravity of, of that moment hit him and um, his players, other, his teammates all came over and hugged him. And it was, I mean, you can only imagine just like the emotion that must be going through that guy's head, not just today, but since all of this has, since the war has broken out in his home country, and having to try and mentally compartmentalize and putting things like that aside, family and friends who are back home and are in clear danger every day of their lives while he tries to do his job and focus on what has been an incredibly intense title run. And he has played well for them. I mean, really well. He was brilliant today uh, for them. Uh, um, it's just, I, if you haven't had a chance, just go on Twitter, type in his name and you'll see it. It's, it's quite a powerful scene. It's hard for me to watch that and think that the owners of Manchester City in February voted against a United Nations resolution condemning Russia's invasion of Ukraine. That is interesting. Like, like I wonder, does Zinchenko ever communicate that to them, his disappointment in that, or does he just get on with it? I guess he gets on with it. I don't know. That's a good question. But I, I, I don't know. I wonder if he's answered that question. I'm sure it's been asked. I don't know. I must look that up. But at any rate, the, the scene of, of him today was really powerful. And then I saw another one of uh, Hyungmin's son addressing the, his Tottenham teammates in the dressing room after uh, their game today. He was awarded the golden boot on site. Him and Salah will share it. And you could see just also what it meant to him. Um, really uh, a huge achievement for him as well in, uh, in this season. So some, some cool things going on around all the different grounds today. Um, at uh, as the Premier League comes to a conclusion, couple things to to finish out on JJ. Um, I, I, we should get one note in on Manchester United. We don't have to go too deep. But what are we going to say? Well, the only thing and, I want to say, anything you say, just drives them into apoplexy. So, so that's I'm not looking to take any shots here. There's no reason. Like, okay, the, the, we all know the score. Like us, United supporters, the players, the boy, like. No, no one's going to sit here and put a positive spin on what happened. This season was was a disaster for them. Uh, they all know that. No one's like, we don't have to sit here and hammer that home. 
Um, I just wondered, like, I just wonder what happens next here. I don't know if this is, if this is a quick fix for them. Um, obviously their new manager, Eric Ten Hag was, was on site today watching this a season that ended fittingly with a, a loss to uh, crystal palace. Um, but boy, you talk about teams at a crossroads. Like this was kind of their go for broke season. Like they went out and they spent Varane, Sancho, Ronaldo. They fired their manager. They brought in a guy that thought could potentially be a fix. Wasn't went out, hired another big money manager in Ten Hag. Like, you know, that's they, they really went for it this year. It, it exploded spectacularly. Uh, they'll still be in the Europa League next season. Um, which like, it's funny with all the craziness of this year and teams who were disappointments and underachieved over in the end, the top six, we're still the top six. Like it's just like, uh, maybe not in the exact order that we all thought, but like, it's just funny how things still kind of fall in line. Mm. Um, but with United, like I just, I assume Pogba is going to go. I don't know what, I, I think Ronaldo will be back, but I guess I don't really know. Um, you know, I think Ten Hag, like he's a manager back before Tottenham hired Nuno. Ten Hag was a guy I wanted at Spurs. So I think he's a good manager. I think he's a, listen, I think he's a very good manager, uh, but I think they need to back him and give him the staff that he needs. And they got to give him the time to change things because I think he can make them good again. But, but like there's, there's things, there's things I wonder about there. Like this season, like what is Marcus Rashford? Is he a great United player or is he, should he be at like the a next tier down from that? And, and is that what he is like, like Harry Maguire? What is he can, if he's a starting central defender for you, does that mean you're not that good of a team or did he just have a bad year coming off of, mm. of the euros? Like we talked about with all these other guys. So like, there's just, there's a question there's than, mark at, at, at every position, there, but them. there's a question mark at every position off the field too. Like if you read uh, last week's uh, uh, Manchester evening news, yet another senior member of staff from Manchester United has left the club. Former chief of staff Patrick Coyle takes up a role with the PFA. Coyle becomes the latest senior member of staff at Old Trafford to leave the club with sweeping changes being made ahead of Ericton Hag's arrival. He joins executive vice chairman Ed Woodward, chief transfer negotiator Matt Judge, head of corporate finance Hemin Tessio, chief scout Jim Lawler, and head of global scouting Marcel Boot in departing United. Now, I'm sure there's United fans that point at some of those guys and say, well, they weren't doing a good job anyway. So we have to clean out, but that's, that's a lot of knowledge hemorrhaged in a few months. Mm -hmm. Then uh, we didn't talk about this at all in the podcast. Ralph Ranick has got the job as Austrian football manager, the national team job. And now we're hearing from Andy Mitten and a few different people, journalists saying they're not even sure what role he'll have in this two year consultancy. He's supposed to have like the depth of it. It's I, I don't know exactly what's happened. What won't be good enough is just to give Eric Ten Hag the job. You have to let him rebuild the club, do the things he needs to do. Like, I'm sick saying it, really. Um, you'd love to appoint someone in a Mark Overmars role or an Edwin van der Zaar role above uh, Ten Hag, like what he had, the backroom team he had, and the, the front office he had at Ajax. But I don't know if that's possible at United right now. But um, they, they have the wherewithal, they have the money, they have the status to get back to where they need to be. I think they have the manager too, perfectly honest with you. I know he's unproven really outside of his own country, completely unproven outside of, um, out of the Eredivisie, but his style of play, the things he can do, why can't he 
be that person. But yeah. again, it's structures around them as much as anything. I have no idea how this plays out for them. I no. really don't. But it'll be an interesting summer, as it always is for them. Uh, and then finally, JJ, something that we, in, in under normal circumstances, could have led this podcast with, could have done an entire podcast on. Kylian Mbappe defying the odds, really, and seemingly at the last moment electing to stay with PSG. He will not be going to Real Madrid. Real Madrid miss out on their top target and the player that I think much of the world had assumed they would be acquiring. He's going to stay in Ligue 1 with PSG. Wow, I was, count me shocked by it. He said, I would like to announce I've chosen to extend my contract to Paris, uh, Paris Saint-Germain, and of course I'm delighted. I am convinced that here I can continue to grow at a club that provides everything necessary to perform at the highest level. I am also delighted to continue to play in France, the country where I was born, where I've grown up and where I've made my name. I would like to thank the president, Nasser Al-Khalifi, for his trust, his understanding and his patience. I would also like to thank all the fans of Paris Saint-Germain, both in, in France and around the world for their support, especially in recent months. Together, side by side and ambitious, we will make magic in Paris, which was swiftly responded to by not just Real Madrid, but La Liga. Uh, Alex Kirkland and Rodrigo Fez in the uh, ESPN app said, La Liga will take legal action against Paris Saint-Germain over the renewal of Kylian Mbappe's contract after the forward decided to snub a move to Real Madrid and stay in France. Moments before the announcement, La Liga released a statement confirming an ESPN report that the league will be filing a complaint over an alleged breach of finance rules. La Liga will file a complaint against PSG before you wait for the French administrative and fiscal authorities and European Union authorities to continue to defend the economic ecosystem of European football and its sustainability. This type of agreement attacks the economic stability of European football, putting at risk hundreds of thousands of jobs and the integrity of sport. It is scandalous that a club like PSG can close such an agreement while those clubs that could afford the hiring of the player without seeing their wage bill compromised are left without being able to sign him. PSG is assuming an impossible investment seeing that it has an unacceptable wage bill and large financial losses in prior seasons. It is violating current UEFA and French economic control rules. And um, earlier, the Liga president, Javier Tebas, called PSG's renewal of Mbappe an insult to football. We, what PSG are doing, he said on Twitter, to renew Mbappe with large quantities of money, who knows where and how they pay for it in brackets after posing losses of 700 million in recent seasons and having a wage bill of 600 million is an insult to football. Al-Khalifi is as dangerous as the Super League. So now the response to this has been twofold. Uh, people have been saying either agreeing with, uh, with La Liga, either laughing at La Liga's hissy fit and certainly laughing at Real Madrid being upset about this, considering for decades how they pillaged the talent stocks of other clubs and signed whoever they wanted during those many decades of dominance that they themselves had mm. in European football. And then kind of the, the other side to that is, oh, well, you know, this is bad for the game, sports washing, et cetera, et cetera. How are PSG doing this? How are they funding this? Um, that's been the kind of twofold response to it. Um, which I think is, I don't think you have to take either side though. I think you can look at it um, in the round and say, yeah, it's really funny Real Madrid and La Liga being upset about these things, but it's also kind of, you know, bad 
that a state owned entity can really pour this kind of incredible money to keep talent at their club. That's not sporting. That's bad for the game. You can. It's also not really supposed to be. I mean, I don't know exactly what their losses are, uh, but it, it, they're supposed to be almost guardrails against this. Yeah. I don't know. Um, our friend Tarek Panja said, look closely at details in Mbappe's story. PSG essentially wrote off 330 million brackets without salary in retaining him. Who else could turn down a 200 million euro bid last year from Real Madrid and pay him 130 million signing on fee? Mm-hmm. Only state-funded balance sheets can sustain this. I suppose that's the other point too. Um, there's only City and uh, PSG that can do that. I mean, look... <sighs> And maybe Newcastle uh, moving Newcastle, forward. Yeah. Yeah. I, for me, it, like, I don't know. The finances of it, I'm not fully like well-versed in. Um, I'm surprised, I guess, a little bit that UEFA, like the, I guess we'll just see. We'll have to see like what I mean, we know what's balance happening. sheet is. We know, um, like, like I said, you can take a, 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 you know, you can see both sides, surely, Andrew. I guess if, for me, my feeling was just kind of a little bit of disappointment. Um, and look, if the money being thrown at him was of a level that he just couldn't possibly say no to it, then, and he, you know, and he is French. Uh, so, you know, he may hold PSG in a different light than, than many of us do. Um, but like, I just, I don't know. I feel like this, uh, this is a generational talent and he is going to spend his prime, almost all of it, uh, playing in a league that is just not quite in the regard of, of, these other leagues, La well, Liga, he's going to, he's going to be there Bundesliga. He'll, he'll be 26 before there's a chance to really for him to go somewhere else. And, and, and a lot of that, that's, that's a significant portion of his really, really good years as we know these days in football. So, um, you know, what's there to say, really, this is going to happen. There's mm-hmm. it's, uh, the protests of La Liga will go nowhere. Um, yeah, the, I mean, look, it felt a UEFA bit has like already lost. UEFA has already lost in the court of arbitration for sport to Manchester City. Um, the stranglehold of of those two clubs, of those um, those uh, you know those states on 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 their positions within football, I don't think is going to change. I don't think there's any amount of litigation investigation is going to change that. I mean, we have all the facts. We know how they do this. We know how they you know, become suddenly so revenue rich. It's laid out for us how it's done. And, um, and they, they can't be stopped. Yeah. And so, you know, some of our opportunities to really appreciate him, it'll just, it'll continue to be international tournaments, champions leagues, which is not nothing. Um, and look, I'm not trying to entirely denigrate league, uh, but it's not what some of these other leagues are. Um, and it would have been, I don't know. I kind of would have liked to have seen him want to take on that challenge. But, let me get let me get this one. Sorry to cut across, Andrew. Let me get this one in before we do the final thing that we have to talk about. Um, so Sky Sports Premier League official account. Shocking footage has emerged, emerged of Aston Villa goalkeeper Robin Olsen being assaulted numerous times whilst leaving the Etihad pitch oh. after the pitch invasion. So that's Jeez. it. The, the, there'll be no more of it. I don't know how they stop it, but they'll do their best to. And um, it's terrible. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, now there's a stu- the the video shows someone like, oh my, oh it's terrible, oh, it's, it's actually awful. 
That's that's pathetic. Yeah, I'm watching it live or as we speak here. It's jeez. Yeah. yeah. Mean, Robin Robin Olson. Is there a least offensive character? Like what how is your joy in battering him on the way off the field? I I don't get that. It's just mindless. Yeah, I'm looking at it now as well. It looks like security was trying to help him, yeah. escort him off. Um, and you got just maniacs just kind of. Some come from behind and then one guy yeah. runs across him and it appears to catch him in the face. Yeah, and then another security guard comes over to try to rush him off as quickly as possible. Yeah, this this is, yep. There we go. There will always be a few idiots that ruin something potentially cool and fun for everyone it never changes it never changes well i'm not going to let the podcast end like this i feel no, sorry no. for robin olsen uh quickly two things before i get out and maybe you have something yourself um ac milan today andrew wins syria title after 11 year wait so in the end that horrifying goal for inter did matter <laughs> yep oh it did oh massively um the sub was it the sub goalkeeper mm-hmm. yeah uh, AC Milan clinched the Serie A title for the first time in 11 years final day of the league season they defeated Sassuolo 3-0 uh, Stefano Pioli's side they knew they only needed a draw a point would be enough but they got a double from um, Olivier Giroud and one goal from uh, Frank Kessier sealing the Scudetto in style so AC Milan congratulations to them and congratulations Andrew to the Black Cats Sunderland they beat Wickham Wanderers 2-0 yesterday at Wembley um, Embleton and Ross Stewart with the goals for the Black Cats 2-0 win I watched the last I think half hour of it and uh, it was pretty comprehensive you had uh, you had little threat from Wickham um, I think yeah I, I, Sunderland looked a, looked, looked a good bit better than them and they, they sealed it late on with that goal from, uh, from Stewart and Wickham, they did what they were going to do, Andrew. They sprung Akinfenwa off the bench. He comes on. It's his final professional game. So you kind of wanted the story for him, but he came on a little bit. His involvement was a little bit, it was a bit Vegas Elvis era. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like it's over, but you're wheeling him out one more time. And uh, he had one chance and he just couldn't get his leg up high enough to get a good connection with it. Ball broke in the box. Could have been a volley. I was like, that would have made it 2-1 and I would have been happy for him to score at Wembley on his final game. But it wasn't to be. So the Black Cats and uh, their new owner, Corel Louis-Dreyfus, they are going to be playing in the championship next season. And uh, Alex Neal, appointing Alex Neal and not Roy Keane appears to have worked out for Sunderland. So well done to them, because I know we have a lot of Sunderland supporters. Uh, and well done to David Priest, who's been on this podcast several times. He's the Sunderland goalkeeping coach at the moment. And uh, I saw him on the field celebrating uh, yesterday, which was, uh, which was very, very nice for him. So well done to all. Well, there you go. What a podcast. Oh, no, we're not done. Oh. Actually, we're not done. Oh, I'm going to finish with a positive fan story. Some would say an uplifting fan story. Mm-hmm. There was a beautiful picture, an amazing picture at Wembley of the Sunderland supporters. Uh, so there's this, the, the three tiers of, of the Wembley stand are full. It's red and white everywhere. There's a flare at the back of the stand 
and it's just kind of dissipating down like a fog. And, and you see all these Sunderland fans, young and old in ecstasy. And you see jerseys from the 90s when they were bad and jerseys from the early 90s that, you know, Quinn and Phillips would have worn when they were good. And there's all that. And it's just wonderful. And right, right in the center of this picture, and it's why you won't be able to hang it on your wall, is a big inflatable member. <laughs> Ruined. The picture ruined this yeah. young fella holding a loft in his hand like it's the European Cup is a big inflatable penis. Imagine leaving your house that day to go to the game. Okay, my coat, my keys. Oh, okay, let's go. Oh, wait, wait, the tickets, tickets, go get go get the tickets. Okay, now we're good. Get back on the car. Oh, wait, 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 one more thing. The dildo. I forgot it. I forgot it. Okay, hold on one sec. Wait. Okay, now we're good. Let's go. I mean, like, what? It's not even that. He had to, because it's a novelty fun item. He he had to, it, he had to blow this thing up. Right. It's, it's not, a, it's not an actual, <laughs> it's it's an inflatable one. But yeah, I mean, it's, but it's hilarious. I, I'm telling you, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll retweet the picture on my, not on the caught off side, because I will not disseminate porn on our official Twitter, but I will retweet the picture. And I, I'm telling you, that is a great shot, completely ruined by an inflatable member. Yeah. Uh, and before we go, I have one last shout out, uh, a fan based one as well. Uh, the animals have let us know, JJ, congrats to Tim Muller. It's clopper in time. He winds up the winner from the Reddit pages, uh, fantasy Premier league. Oh, can you give us a top four? It's clopper in time is number one. The not spurs. Number two, how I Met Your Mata is three. Love that And one. Uh, Arsenal FC uh, is four. <laughs> Which is bitter irony. <laughs> <laughs> they did finish top four in something. Oh, so, all right. Well done, the animals. Well done, yeah. Clapper and Time. And uh, all of those are... Who's, uh, who's going to uh, the UEFA Conference and Europa League? Uh, Diogo finishes fifth along with... Uh, and then in sixth, Earthwind Maguire. Oh, and then. Brilliant. Yeah, and then seventh is Moon Lassos. So oh. that was how the uh, the Reddit pages okay. Fantasy Premier League played out. So good well stuff done, guys. all those guys. Yeah, well done indeed. Uh, all right, so that will put an end on this behemoth. Oof. What an incredible day of viewing this was. I mean, I saw even, um, even the official MLS Twitter account, I think, tweeted something about the Premier League and just like the insanity of today. So everyone was... Everyone was paying attention. Everyone's certainly. trying to get in on it. Everyone was paying attention. We're not done. We're done for today. But of course, midweek, we'll have uh, the Devonlings to truly put a bow on the season. And then Friday, we'll be back with the Champions League final preview. And then next week, the Champions League recap. And then we'll be into the summer. And who knows what sort of fun will ensue. Then. We might do something from the beach. Oh, okay. Beach offside. Remember when Danny Higginbotham was on before the season? He was on the beach. You could hear the seagulls in the background. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we'll just, we should really just lean into that. Um, yeah. That was nice. Well, hey, this was awesome. What a season. God, what a season. We'll relive it all coming up later this week in the Devonlings. JJ, to you, I say. Check you later, fun boy. See you later, man. Take care. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. 